The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Dark forces came behind To the left and right the desert Brought panic to their minds The evil of that hour Was stronger than the sun That beat on them with nowhere left to run The chariots of Egypt Drew nearer as they cried Yet Moses stood there calmly with a fearless faith inside He said there is a power Far greater than the sword Stand still and you will witness A mighty salvation from our Lord And then the Red Sea parted For now lies, making all the darker pleasures so pleasant to my eyes. I knew a lack of praise had led me to that hour, standing there surrounded by sin's power. Yet the terror of those moments began to fade away, as my heart recalled God's mercies are all new every day. And my spirit took its armor as my lips took up the sword. The light broke through the darkness, a mighty salvation from our
like a child of Israel at my own Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I want to share with you today a part of the teaching from the book of Hebrews that is absolutely astounding when you look at how we have lived and believed in the modern time. And this way of looking at Scripture has been completely destructive to us. It has kept us from walking in the victory of Jesus Christ. Let me begin with a parable, Luke, the 18th chapter. It begins in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector, a publican. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, we've all heard this parable, but let me ask just a couple of questions. The next day, when this publican went to his work, Was he still a sinner man? Was he still needing to ask for the atonement? Literally in the Greek, when it says, he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. He is saying, will you make atonement for me, Jesus? Or Father. God, will you make atonement for me? So, tell me, did the man come back to the temple the next Sabbath day and once more beat his breast 
and once more cry out, God have mercy on me, a sinner? Part of what's happened in the modern church is that we will take a passage of Scripture like this parable, and we will take it out of context, and we will make it absolute for our experience. And so many of you, as you go to your formal churches and you go through your your rituals, you will use the prayer book where you confess that you are a sinner before God because this publican confessed that he was a sinner. And there is no sense of movement in your life. You're always a sinner. You're always to come to God and beat your breast and look down and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then some in the Roman Catholic Fellowship, if you will just follow the tweets that Pope Francis makes, he's announced that he will give you an indulgence so that you can escape some years of burning in purgatory so that you can be delivered from purgatory early if you will just follow his tweets. He will give you an indulgence because always you are a sinner and always you need to come confessing your sin and and finally you need to go to purgatory and then in purgatory you have burned out of you the last residue of sin and so literally then fire is your savior not jesus christ if you're a roman catholic i urge you i invite you to look carefully at what you are doing when you go to the catholic church now many of you are very serious christians and you go to the catholic church because that's all you know The reason that's all you know is that you have not spent time reading the scriptures for yourself. And you have bought into the dogma of human theology. And I urge you to flee from that place. Leave. Find a place where the gospel of Jesus is honestly taught. But now for today... I'd like to look at a couple of other examples. We've spoken about some of these already. In Matthew, the first chapter, verse 21, it says, Mark it well. He himself will save his people from their sins. Wait a minute if he is going to save his people from their sins, are they still in their sins? And is it required of you to constantly go and beat your breast and say, I'm a sinner. I'm always going to be a sinner. You see, the scriptures move The scriptures and the, and the gospels and the salvation process are linear. What do I mean? 
There is a beginning, there is a middle, and there is an end. It is movement forward. Now, if we look at Luke 13, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, a woman was there having a spirit of infirmity 18 years. I want you to notice the movement of time. Our whole message today will be about the movement of time and what that means for you as a Christian. And if you stop in one place and you are always the publican coming in and beating your chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, you are stuck and there is no movement in your life. It says that this man went home justified. Now again, the Greek word there is dikiu, meaning to make righteous. He went home, his sins were forgiven, and the grace of God entered into his heart, and he was made into a new creature. That's the gospel story. The gospel story is never the Gnostic gospel that you are utterly corrupt in your flesh, but you're holy in your spirit, and you're going to go to heaven because you have the secret knowledge that all you have to do is believe on Jesus. That's Gnostic trash. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is something much different. And so, there was a woman, 18 years, passage of time, she was being bent over and not able to stand up completely. Have you ever seen someone bent at the waist, looking up with their eyes, in a very painful position, their back locked in that position. That's how this woman was. She was not able to stand up tall. She was not completely able to stand. But Jesus, having seen her, called out and said to her, Woman, you have been released from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and was glorifying God. There was a change. There was a transformation in her life. There was a supernatural work of God that set this woman completely free. Now, this same word is used let me read it for you Hebrews the 7th chapter I'll begin with verse 24 but because he continues forever he has an unchangeable priesthood that is Jesus for which reason he is able to sozo save completely so Luke uses this same phrase of being healed completely 
the woman having the spirit of infirmity for 18 years, being bent over, not being able to stand up completely, she was made straight. Hence, she was healed, able to stand up completely. And so, the writer of the book of Hebrews is now using that word completely, same Greek word. He's now using it to describe the life of a believer in Jesus. A believer in Jesus is completely sozo, saved from their sin. They stand up straight. They're no longer bowed down with the weight of sin in their heart and their life. They no longer go like the publican every Sabbath to the temple to confess, to beat their breast, to say, I'm a sinner. No, because the blood of Jesus saves completely. Now, if we can begin to get a hold of this incredible truth and begin to understand that there is a there is a passage of time and as we pass through that time the work of Jesus Christ completely delivers us again i reference matthew 121 complete deliverance from sins that's what Jesus was prophesied to do. If you look at Matthew 14, 30 and 31, it's the story of Peter as he steps out onto that water. He is terrified as he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink and he will drown. And he cries out to Jesus and says, Jesus, Please save me, sozo me. Jesus reaches out his hand, the scriptures say, took a hold of Peter and drew him up and put him in the boat. He was saved. He was in the boat. He was no longer on the water sinking. He was saved. Now, did Jesus spend the rest of his ministry pulling Peter up out of the water. <laughs> no. No. I mean, what would you think if in every chapter of the of the Gospels there was the story of Peter is sinking again, Peter is sinking again, Peter is sinking again. No. To sozo is to save, to save completely, to draw out of the water. If you look at Luke 8.36, you find being saved from demons. Or if you look at Luke 18.41-43, saved from blindness. To be saved, or sozo, is a radical deliverance from something to something. From something to something in time and space and history. Now, many of you who are listening today have no sense of movement 
in your life. You have no sense of movement in Jesus Christ. You're stuck. You go to the same church service time after time, and there's no change. The entertainment's a little different. The jokes are different. But you're still the same person. You go to the Mass. You do your Hail Marys. You do Our Fathers. You take the communion, the Eucharist, and you leave, and you go back to your life. There's no change. And so all the church is then is a bit of a crutch to help you as you sin against Jesus, as you live your own life. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel of the Gnostics. That's not what Jesus is about. He's about a radical salvation, a radical change in your life. I want to show you that quickly. If we come to the book of Titus, I'll begin reading in chapter 2, verse 14. Who gave himself in our behalf in order that he might redeem us from every iniquity and might cleanse us for himself, a people as a possession, zealous of good works. Do you see the progressive movement in that scripture? It's not a standstill stand still deal. In other words, Jesus came and died on the cross so that he could do something very specific in your life. He wants to buy you back. He wants to redeem you from your iniquity, from your sin. He wants to do it in time and space and history. He doesn't want to continually do it. This is, okay, I redeem you now. I redeem you from all sin now. I cleanse now a people for myself. They belong to me. And now I want them to be zealous of good works. In other words, I want them to live now as radically transformed, changed Christians who no longer participate in the wickedness of this world. They've been transformed, metamorphosed in time and space and history. Now, let's go to chapter 3 in Titus, and this will become even much more clear. You must remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to slander no man, to be peaceable, kind, showing all courtesy to all men. For we were also once 
foolish, disobedient, being led astray, serving various kinds of lusts and pleasures. In other words, we were at one time completely involved in sports, in professional sports. We loved the football games. We loved the baseball games. We loved the Kardashians. We loved all the entertainment of the world. But not now. We've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. At one point, all we cared about was making money, being successful, getting ahead, buying the house, buying the new car, getting married, and and having our life set up so that we could have a wonderful Western American lifestyle. That was when we were creatures of darkness. Please begin to separate out in your mind time, space, and history. You were once this, but now you are that. You have been transferred. You have been changed. You have been metamorphosed. You're no longer the same person. You no longer think the same. You no longer do the same things. But see, it's very easy to focus on the emotional aspects, the inspirational aspects of I'm a Christian and I'm saved. But really, there's no change. We're still just like the world. We struggle. We'll, we'll make a vow. We'll do better tomorrow. That's all flesh. And can I be very frank with you? I have people that I talk with who come to me with tears or anger, bitterness, accusations against God because God's not fair. He won't give me what I want. And finally, these people settle into their religion. And they totally lose touch with Jesus Christ. And they finally say, well, I just have to do what I have to do to take care of me and my family. And we're going to attend church. We're going to be religious. And woe be unto the man who or the woman who goes into the church and begins to point out the hypocrisy of the Christian church. As I ask one pastor of a mega church in Northern Virginia, he came to me for counseling. And I said to him, the church that you're pastoring, is it a worldly church? Oh yes, of course. We have to be worldly. We have to use the videos from the movies. We have to use the... And he listed a whole bunch of things. The music, the the special guest speakers, the entertainment, the concerts. He said, we do all of that in order to attract people. And then after that, we try to teach them about Jesus. So you attract worldly people to worldly things... And then somewhere you try to do a bait and switch. I mean, one mega church here in Northern Virginia 
one night I decided I would go there for their time of prayer. And so Sunday evening I went for their Sunday evening service only to discover that they'd set up a football party, a Super Bowl party in their church. And they had told all of their members, invite all of your friends to the church. We'll use the large screens and we'll do a Super Bowl party. And at halftime, the pastor will talk about Jesus. Well, it sounds like great guerrilla marketing, but it's demonic. It's wicked from the very core. It's wicked. You see... the writer of Titus, the Apostle Paul, says, at one time, we were foolish and disobedient. We were being led astray. We were serving various kinds of lusts and pleasures, spending life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another, But when the kindness and love for mankind appeared from God our Savior, not out of the works by means of righteousness, which we did, but according to his mercy, that is his atonement, he delivered us. He delivered us. How did he deliver us? By a washing by means of rebirth. In other words, again, time and space and history. There is a spatial, time-sensitive process that God wants to put you through. And in that process, he wants you to be crucified with him. He wants you to be totally changed into his likeness. He wants all sin to be removed and washed out of your heart and out of your life. But you've been taught, oh, it's impossible. You're always going to be a sinner. Well, of course it's impossible if you believe that every Sabbath, this publican had to go and confess what a great sinner he was and there was no deliverance in the atoning blood of Jesus. I don't believe that, do you? Are you willing to say today that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot deliver you from all bondage of sin? Are you going to honestly say that the blood of Jesus that he shed on Calvary is inadequate. Do you question and doubt the power of the blood of Jesus, or do you want to turn aside from it so that it does not do that full washing because you enjoy the sin of your life? You enjoy the television, you enjoy the parties, you enjoy the nightclub, you enjoy getting drunk. You enjoy the lusts of your flesh, you enjoy the porno movies, you enjoy pursuing your own goals. A woman who was recently married said to me, Pastor, 
I'm not really sure I'm happy now that I'm married. I said, why would you say that? And she said, well, I've lost all my freedom. Now I can't come and go as I want to come and go. I have another person in my life that I have to consider. I have responsibilities in my life that I didn't have before. Now I'm a wife. And that means that I'm involved in taking care of my husband. And I'm not sure I like losing all of that independence when I could just go and do what I wanted and my mom paid for everything. And I was free to do whatever I wanted to do. I needed a car, so I got a car. I have the money. She gives me money. But suddenly now I'm in a marriage and the money is not flowing and I'm not able to just go and do and be whatever I want to go and do and be, I'm not sure I like this marriage deal. Well, some of you feel like that about Jesus. You're not sure you really want to be transformed into his likeness and be subject to holiness and righteousness. I said to this new wife, what is the the cuddling worth and what is the touching worth and what is the coming together and believing the same thing worth and what is working together worth well pastor I like all of that but I frankly liked having my own life and I have now lost my life I'm not sure I'm going to stay in this marriage What are you thinking? Have you entered into Jesus Christ and lost your life so that now you have a husband to consider? You're not free to roam with the devil and do whatever you want to do? Have you made that transition yet? Have you given up the ownership of your money to Jesus? Have you given up the ownership of your family to Jesus? Have you been transformed and changed in time and space and history? Or are you like the publican every Sunday you go to church and confess you're a sinner and then go home and live as you choose? Do you hate your sin? enough to beat your breast and say it has to go I can't walk this way anymore I need Jesus now I need him to come and do that supernatural work of grace now in my heart I know many of you most of you who listen to this broadcast have not yet made that transition to Jesus listen he delivered us. He delivered us completely. How? By a washing, by means of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly by Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been made righteous, <coughs> pardon me, 
so that having been made righteous by the grace of that one, we may become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, having been made righteous, again, translates dikiu. And in the Old Covenant, it was to justify, it was to declare righteous. But under the New Covenant, it is to be made righteous. No one can be made righteous because the law cannot make you righteous in the Old Covenant. Justified in the Old Covenant is a forensic legal word. It is righteousness that is legal. But the law cannot make a man righteous. A man has to go through, now follow me carefully, a man or woman in the new covenant has to be delivered by the washing by means of a rebirth. That rebirth means he delivers and the washing is a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit. This doesn't happen continually. This is a one-time experience where I am totally delivered from my sin. It is not something I spend the rest of my life working on. I will spend the rest of my life growing up in Jesus. I will become mature by what I suffer. I will grow and mature, but I will not be walking in sin. Because in time and space and history, I was washed, I was delivered by means of being reborn, born from above, (coughs) (coughs) renewed by the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to turn with me in the scriptures to the book of Hebrews. And I want to show you what we're faced with as we look at this issue. Jesus, in chapter 5 of Hebrews, verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, having offered up both prayers and supplication, with strong crying and tears to the one being able to save him out of death, and having been heard because of his obedient fellowship, Although being a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, that is, having been made mature, he became the source of eternal salvation to all the ones obeying him. This is time and space in history. This is in the flow of God's work 
in your life, there must come a time when you are reborn, where you stop walking in sin, where you are made righteous. Then, verse 11, concerning whom we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull in your hearing. Dull in your hearing. Calloused in your hearing. Where suddenly you forgot, conveniently, that there is a time, space, and history event of salvation in your life, and you began to dumb yourself down with the teaching of the day, And by this time, the writer of Hebrews is saying to these Jewish people, you ought to be teaching by now, but you're not ready to teach because you don't know the fundamentals of the oracles of God. In fact, you can only take milk. In other words, you can only take that infant place because you've never been willing to grow up and recognize that you are going to have to suffer as God removes the sin from your life in a wondrous work of grace. Grace does not cover over our sin. Titus tells us that grace teaches us to say no to unrighteousness. It is the divine influence of God that moves in time and space and history and says, stop going there. Stop saying that. Stop doing that. And by the grace of God, by the power of the blood, it's done. It's cut off. He says, You need milk and not solid food. Now, the one enjoying milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Now, I come preaching righteousness. I am a a holiness preacher. I am a preacher of righteousness and deliverance from sin. That's the message America must hear today. There must be a radical change where we're no longer tolerant of the wickedness of our day, of our culture. We no longer imbibe in the movies and the things of darkness. We turn aside from it. It says, for he is an infant, unskilled in the word of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature because of practice the senses having been exercised to discern both good and evil. So he's saying, look, you've got to come to a point where you're willing to walk without sin before God, and part of this growing up in righteousness is listening to your senses. We have five senses. Touch, smell, taste, hear, see, He's saying you have to practice with these senses. And as the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we're washed, and we say, no more, I'm not going to walk that way. I'm turning to Jesus. And it doesn't take very long until those things of darkness have been depleted and wiped out of our heart and our life. It is a supernatural act of grace It is God working in us. 
Now, the lie of the modern church is that you are saved by faith, by grace, meaning your sin is covered over. God doesn't see your sin. He sees himself instead. And so you are left as a total infant, only able to have a little milk. And so some of you get very upset with the preaching that I do on this broadcast because you're still an infant in Christ. You've never grown up. You've never become a teacher of righteousness. And then you become a teacher of righteousness. You go to your church pastor, a dear brother up in New York City. He leads a men's group. And he's been teaching this men's group about righteousness. It's been quite controversial in the church. He's had meeting after meeting with the senior pastor. And as he's talked with that senior pastor, the pastor has said, I see it, but I'm not sure how to walk it out. And it's been very gratifying to this man to see the preacher begin to preach righteousness in the congregation as he stands in the pulpit. Now, other men in their pride and their arrogance will utterly turn against you who begin to teach righteousness in the modern church and they'll kick you out they won't tolerate it are you an infant do you just have to have the milk of encouragement the milk of inspiration do you still need to be entertained Or are you ready for the meat of the gospel? You know, there's nothing sadder than to see a baby and then discover that this tiny little cute baby is 10 years old, that it has a disease and it can't grow. That's how many of you are. You've never grown. A man came to the National Prayer Chapel under deep conviction. He confessed that he was still an infant. And he said he wanted to grow. That meeting was a particularly pointed meeting. And the way was made very plain for how a man or woman grows in righteousness. After the meeting, they shook hands with me and said, we'll be back. They haven't been back. Why? Because solid meat is offensive to them. Solid meat means they have to begin to practice with their senses and follow the Holy Spirit as he says to them, turn the television off. I'll never forget. I was before the Lord. I was in an agony over what was happening in my life. The Lord said to me, turn the television off. I was a television addict. He said, turn the television off. I discovered that it was like a drug. So for a while, I left the television sitting in the living room, but unplugged a large screen, beautiful Sony TV that I just purchased for over a $1,000. 
This was, wow, almost 30 years ago. I sat there moping, looking at that blank screen, wishing I could turn it on, but I had heard the Lord God of heaven say, turn it off. And I knew I had a choice between Jesus and the television. Well, now I have to decide, am I going to grow up in righteousness or am I going to continue to be an infant and have to have a binky and diaper changes? The day came when I said to my wife, I think we need to move the television out to the trash. And that's what we did. We trashed that brand new Sony large screen TV. And suddenly the home was free. I would not have a television in my house. It's death. It's what is designed by the devil to keep you as an infant and prevent you from growing up into Jesus. It sears your heart and your mind. It turns you away from reading the scriptures. So the writer of the book of Hebrews is very clearly saying it's time to grow up. Now, this is why I've been saying to you, you need to come to the National Prayer Chapel because it is a place where you will grow up and you will meet with other men and women who are in the process of growing up together. It doesn't matter how far you have to drive. An infant will say, oh, I can't spend the time doing that. Oh, no, no, no. Well, what's Jesus worth to you? What's the gospel worth to you? Are you going to sit in your entertainment and your infancy, or are you going to grow up in righteousness and be able to teach others the way of salvation? And so I invite you to come to the National Prayer Chapel. Pay whatever price you have to pay. One family comes from Dumfries, and another family comes from Hyattsville, and another family comes from Gaithersburg, and a couple families drive from, from Fredericksburg. You have to make a decision. Are you going to grow up in Christ? Then you need to be in an atmosphere where you are taught how to grow up in Jesus. So you can come to the National Prayer Chapel by coming to the All Saints Anglican Church and the address where we rent on Sunday afternoon beginning at 12 noon. Let me give you the address, All Saints Anglican Church, and it's located at 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. And you say, but pastor, I don't have transportation. I'm sure you have transportation with friends. So why not ask a friend to come with you and drive you? We're located at 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. Now, this month, we are a long way from being able to cover the cost of radio. We are still... probably 
over $2,000 short yet. I invite you to send tithes and offerings as we come to the end of this month. Every penny will go to pay for the radio broadcast. You can send your tithes and offerings to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. And I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel. I will look forward very much to meeting you. And I'm eager to see you grow and become a teacher of righteousness in the gospel. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you in Jesus. I'll talk to you soon.